and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. And I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. I will remove the northerner far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea, his rear guard into the western sea. The stench and foul smell of him will rise, for he has done great things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine give their full yield. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for He has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors shall be made full of grain. The vat shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. My people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else and my people shall never again be put to shame. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion, in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those on whom the Lord calls. Let's pray. Father, we do call out to you this morning for your help. We want to receive your word and we want to be transformed by it. We want to hear this text of rejoicing and we want to join that rejoicing. So would you help us, would you open our eyes and open our ears, and by your Holy Spirit, would you change us? And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Here's my problem with Easter, all right? This is my first Easter as your pastor, so I need to lay all of my cards on the table. I have a problem with Easter, and here it is. My problem with Easter Sunday is Monday morning. It's after this day of pastels and victorious hymns and lots of ham. We'll pack away all of the eggs and put away the nice clothes and we'll set the alarm and we'll get up tomorrow morning and we'll enter another week. 
And maybe for some of us, that week will bring pain and complication. For most of us, it'll just bring boring normality. That's my problem with Easter. What does Easter have to do with the rest of the week? Does Easter, is it, is it just and this anomaly in our lives where there's this day of celebration and then we just go back to our mundane lives the same? Or does it change something? Does Easter make a difference? Well, I want to bring those questions to Joel chapter 2 because this is a text of resurrection. And I hope you'll be able to see that as we go along. But this is a text of resurrection. And so I want to come to this text and I want to ask two questions. I want to ask, what difference does Easter make and how does Easter make that difference? What are the implications of Easter for tomorrow morning? First of all, what difference does Easter make? Joel 2 is the poetry of reversal. If you were here last week, you might remember the first part of this chapter is all darkness. It's all tragedy. It is this military and agriculture disaster that has come on God's people. And the prophet tells them to be alarmed and he calls them to mourning. And to repentance. He calls them, remember those trumpets, to sadness. But then, in verse 18, everything changes. And the prophet anticipates four reversals for the people of God. Four dramatic changes on their situation. The first one is the reversal of defeat into victory. So verse 20 says that God will come, He will show up, He will intervene, and He will push these foreign armies that have come from the north. He will push them in all directions, north, south, east, and west. And then there is the reversal of desert to garden. First part of Joel chapter 2 says, Before this disaster has come on God's people, the city of Jerusalem is like a new garden of Eden. And after them, after these armies, these locusts, it is a desolate wilderness. But what happens now after verse 18? What was a wilderness now becomes a garden again. And then the prophet says that there will be another reversal and it will be the reversal of shame into honor. Because of the loss of, that God's people have suffered, they are ashamed. There is a reproach on them. They are at the bottom of the social scale now. And the prophet says, God will show up. And in verse 18, he said, there will be, or verse 19, he says, there will be no more a reproach. And in verse 27, he says, no more will my people be put to shame. And then because of all of these changes, there's another change, and it's the change from sorrow, from fear, into gladness. Verse 21, fear not. Verse 22, fear not. Verse 23, be glad. 
O Zion, people of God, where the prophet had commanded them to be alarmed and mourn in the first part of the chapter, now he commands them to celebrate. We love stories of reversal. We talk about Cinderella a lot this time of year, right, with college basketball. And we had our own Cinderella there for a little while with Florida Gulf Coast University. And we had a lot of hope in that. And we love these stories of teams winning when everyone expects them to lose. And we're sad when those stories end like they did on Friday night. Easter is the greatest, deepest, truest story of reversal. And it is a story of reversal that does not have an end. And this is what the prophet is anticipating with his poetry in this chapter. He is anticipating the resurrection of Jesus. How can I say that? Well, because if you go to the New Testament and you go to a letter written by the Apostle Paul, who was an early Christian pastor and leader and missionary, he was writing to the church in Corinth. And in chapter 15 of that book, he begins to explain the resurrection and he begins to explain its implications for us. And to do that... He uses the images of Joel chapter 2. He says that Christ's resurrection changes defeat into victory. Only now the enemies are not the national enemies of Israel. It is the greatest human enemy, death. And Paul says Jesus has won a victory over death, and He has changed our defeat, if we are in Him, into victory. And because of that, we no longer have to live in shame. Paul actually turns the tables on death, and he begins to mock it. Where death is your stink? Where grave is your victory? It's Paul trash-talking death because of the resurrection of Jesus. Shame is transformed into honor. And then he says that the resurrection of Jesus is the first fruits, the beginning of a harvest of life. Jesus is like those first inclinations that a crop is coming. It's the first take, the best take of a coming harvest. And this harvest will be the bodies of those who belong to Him who will be raised from the dead with Him. So that in Jesus and in us, the desert of this world, parched by sin, is being turned into a garden. A garden that the New Testament tells us will surpass even the Garden of Eden. And because of that, we no longer have to live lives owned by fear. We can live in the joy of what Jesus has done for us. And yes, that has implications for our future. It gives us hope. But it also has implications for our present 
Because Paul in another letter, the letter to the Romans, chapter 6, says that if we are in Jesus by faith, we are connected. We are united to His death and His resurrection. Now, today, this week, if you are in Jesus, the difference that Easter makes is that the story of reversal, the greatest, deepest, truest, eternal story of reversal is your story. If you are in Jesus, the power of resurrection is in you now, today, tomorrow, Tuesday, and the rest of the week. This story of reversal is at work in you. It is at work in us as a community. It is at work in communities around the world who today will say He is risen indeed. Do you look at your life that way? Is your life just the story of your successes and failures? Or by faith, is it the story of the greatest reversal, the reversal of the empty tomb. Will you look at your week that way? Understanding that as you wake up on Monday morning, the power of the resurrection, the new creation, is at work in you. Now, second major question. How does that happen? That sounds impressive. It sounds great. It sounds exciting, doesn't it? And it seems so remote from the reality of our life day to day. How does that reversal happen in us? How does Easter make this difference in us? Well, to answer that question, we've got to talk about another obscure book of the Bible. Sorry. The book of Numbers. Uh, And in the book of Numbers, there's a story about God's people, Israel. They're in the desert and they are struggling. They're having a really difficult time. And Moses is their leader and he is tired of it. He's done. He's ready to quit. And God comes to him and he says, Moses, to deal with your exhaustion, I want you to put in place... 70 elders, take them from all the different tribes of Israel and put in place 70 elders who will help you to lead this very grumpy community of people, this very difficult group of people. Raise up these, put them in place. And and God says to Moses, when you put them in place as leaders, I will give them my spirit. Now understand in the Old Testament, the spirit of God is God's unique presence that comes on an individual For a particular task. It comes on them to empower them to win a victory or to be a priest or to be a leader like Moses. And so God says to Moses, when you when you put these leaders in place, I will take some of the spirit that I've given to you and I will give it to them. So Moses does it. The spirit of God comes on these 70 leaders. And they begin to prophesy. The text says they begin to speak the words of God. And Joshua, who is Moses' assistant, is, says, whoa, that's not okay. That's Moses' job. 
It is Moses' job to speak the words of God. Moses, you need to go and stop those leaders. They've already taken way too much power away from you. And Moses says, Joshua, don't be jealous because of me. I wish that God would pour out His Spirit in this way on all the people of God. I wish all of the people of God would know God in this way, would know and speak His Word. And then the story moves on. And through a lot of changes and disasters, some good things, we come to the book of Joel chapter 2. And do you see what Joel is saying? He says in verse 18 that God has become jealous for His land, for His people. And then beginning in verse 28, He says that God will pour out His Spirit not on an elite group of individuals, but on all flesh. So that all of those who belong to Him will speak and know the words of God. Joel is saying to the people, God is going to answer Moses' prayer that he prayed all the way back those hundreds, thousands of years ago. Jesus, after he rose from the dead, showed up to his disciples. And he said to them, I, I'm going back to my Father who's in heaven, and I want you to go to Jerusalem. And I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait. Wait for what? for the Spirit to come on you. And that's what the disciples do. They go to Jerusalem and they wait and they gather at the temple to celebrate the Jewish feast of Pentecost. And Acts chapter 2 tells us that a wind started blowing and the Spirit of God, the presence of God, was poured out on His disciples and they began to speak. They began to speak the gospel in all of the diverse languages of the people who were there. And the Jewish leaders are freaked out by this. I would have been too, right? Um, and they explain it by saying, hey, these men have been drinking way too early in the day. And, and Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, he stands up and he says, no, that's not what is happening. Here's what's happening. And then he quotes... From the obscure book of Joel, chapter 2, verses 28 to 32. He said, The desire of Moses, the anticipation of Joel, is happening right now because of the resurrection of Jesus. How does the resurrection of Jesus make a difference? Jesus rose and went to be with His Father in heaven so that He could pour out His Spirit on His church. And it is that Spirit that brings the power of His resurrection into your life and into our community. There's another letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, the letter to the Galatians. And some of us have been studying this on Sunday mornings. In chapter 5 of that letter, uh, Paul begins to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And given the background of Joel and the rest of the Old Testament, we should not be surprised to hear him explain the Spirit 
as a gardener, as one who is cultivating fruit in us, one who is cultivating a harvest in those who belong to Jesus, a harvest of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. I think I got them all. The resurrection of Jesus means that He went to heaven in order to pour out His Spirit on you if you will believe in Him, if you will follow Him by faith. He is the first fruits of a harvest of new creation. What does that mean? It means that your life is turned into the garden of God. That when you wake up on Monday morning, and going to work, and going to school, and going to drop the kids off. The Spirit is at work in you, cultivating the fruit, the beauty of Jesus' resurrection. But we forget this. And we separate Sunday from the rest of the week, and we live as if we are alone. I know this because the Holy Sepulcher in Jerusalem is, is a place, and probably not historically the tomb that Jesus was in, but it's this place that marks the resurrection of Jesus and, and Christians from all over the world come there to worship and things like that. Do you know that the keys to that chapel have to be held by a Muslim cleric because Christian groups were getting into fistfights over who got to go in the chapel first. Why? Because we celebrate the resurrection, but live like it isn't true. Bring it a little closer to home, the, the great Easter monument here in Tallahassee, Honey Baked Ham, uh, which we'll be eating in just a little bit. Do you know Honey Baked Ham on Friday and Saturday before today, they have to bring in a police officer to keep the peace why? Because we celebrate the resurrection, but live like it isn't true. And I'll bring it even closer to home. I know that because I see the anxiety and the anger that so often rule my own heart. Because I celebrate the resurrection, but sometimes live like it isn't true. Yesterday morning, I was sitting on the couch... And I was thinking about today. I was thinking about this sermon, and I was a little stressed out, and I was a little worried that people would get confused when I started talking about the book of Numbers. And uh, so I'm <laughs> trying to think about how to do this and planning for this. And my wife comes over with a cup of coffee, and she sits down, and she starts talking to me about Samuel's sleep schedule, our baby, almost four months old, not sleeping through the night yet, and so still dealing with some sleep deprivation in the Robson house. And she starts talking to me about this, and my first response was, I don't have time for this. I have to go talk about Jesus, the first fruits of a new creation. I don't have time for this. And then I thought, and I believe this was the result of the gardening work of the Holy Spirit, no, stupid, this is your sermon. Jesus rose to pour out His Spirit on you to call you out of your self-centered anxiety and to move you and cultivate in you love. 
for Jessica, for JJ, Georgia, Samuel, and the other people that he brings into my life. That's what the resurrection has to do with the rest of the week. The power of reversal by the Holy Spirit is at work in us, cultivating love, joy, and so on. So, would you save some of your Easter celebration for this week? Would you sing Christ the Lord is Risen today on Tuesday? And when you eat that leftover ham sandwich, would you remember and know that because Jesus got up and walked out of the tomb, the power of reversal is yours. The story of reversal is yours. He is at work in you. Your life has become the garden of God that reveals His glory and demonstrates the triumph of death over life or of life over death. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? We are so happy together here this morning to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And it, it is so much fun. It is so much fun for us uh, to put on nice clothes and to sing these victorious songs and to go and to celebrate with our families, to enjoy our community. And we're so grateful for this celebration. But would you help the celebration not to stop today? Would you lead us into the complications of the week ahead with joy, with the knowledge that your Spirit is with us, that we are not alone, but your Spirit, the Spirit that empowered Moses, the Spirit that empowered David, the Spirit that brought Jesus out of the tomb is in us. Would you help us to listen to Him, to walk with Him, and to be changed by Him? We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.